Welcome to church. How many of you remember Daylight Savings today? How many of you are here because you missed the first service because of forgetting Daylight Savings? Yeah, yeah. Hey, no shame. Hey, no, hey don't, don't lie. No shame, no shame. We don't judge people here. It's a safe place. Come on now. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if it wasn't your iPhones automatically updating your clocks, I mean, how many of you really remember, right? Like, but, but it's good. Like, I think, um, you know, however, whatever the reason may be uh, for God having you brought here to this place at this hour, we trust that God has a good plan for you. Um, we trust that God will speak to you and is continuing to minister in your life. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sean. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I work with high schoolers, and it's my privilege and joy to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Now, for our sermon series, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke titled, A Call to Follow. And this call to follow is none other than the call to follow Jesus Christ. A call to follow invites a response, our response. And those who have responded yes to the call means that we follow Jesus' way of life. Last week, Pastor Al Wu shared with us that following Jesus' way of life means that we live with radical generosity. And today, I would like to share with you that following Jesus' way means that we live with readiness, that we live with readiness. The passage that I'll be sharing from is Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. If you have brought your Bibles with you, please turn there with me. For those of you who have not, the words will be up on the screen, or you can find the Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. I'll be reading from the NIV. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those, those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master has taken a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. 
From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the word of the Lord. Now, to set the context a little bit, um, what Jesus is saying here in today's passage is within the context of Jesus talking to his disciples amongst the many thousands that had gathered. And that's why Peter asks Jesus, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone that's around us? It follows from his teaching to his disciples about storing up treasures in heaven by giving to the poor. And that's what Pastor Al shared with us about in his, la- in his sermon last Sunday. Then follows today's passage. In today's passage, we can see that there are two kinds of servants. Though not compared side by side, there is a clear distinction between these two kinds of servants. The first kind are the servants who wait for their master in readiness. And the second kind is the servant who does not. The first are the servants who wait for their master in readiness. And the second kind are those who do not. Let's look at this more in detail. The first kind of servants, the servants who wait for their master in readiness. In verses 35 and 36, Jesus says, Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. What's translated in the English as be dressed ready for service literally says in the Greek, let your waists or loins be well girded. Men and women in Jesus' time wore long robes that were loose. It'd be hard to run or be in action or be active in that type of clothing. To be girded up meant that people would use either a belt or a sash to tie their robes around their waist so that they are ready for action, so that they're ready to be active, whether it be being running out to meet somebody or to war or whatever. The same word is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were commanded to eat their dinner with their robes girded up on the night of Passover, so that they could eat fast, finish their dinner fast, and be ready to leave Egypt at any moment's notice. To be girded up or to gird up one's loins meant that they were ready for action. So when Jesus says to his disciples, be girded up and keep your lamps burning, he means be ready. Be ready for action. Like the servants who wait with readiness for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that the master, so when the master returns from the banquet, they could immediately open the door for him. Jesus is telling his disciples to be ready, to wait in readiness. Why? Because they will be blessed in doing so. Jesus says it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Jesus says that they will be blessed when the master returns and finds them watching for him. And the way in which they will be blessed is by being served by their own master. The master, it says, will dress himself to serve. It's the same Greek word to u- that's used to gird up. So the master not only will bless the servants, he will bless them by girding his own robes up to serve them, to be ready to serve them, his own servants. 
I mean, it's a blessing that's completely unimaginable in Jesus' time. How is it that a master would be so glad to see his servants wait for his return that he would gird up his own robes to serve his servants and to wait on them? It's unthinkable. Yet Jesus says that this is the kind of blessing that those who wait in readiness will receive. But what does that waiting look like? What does waiting or being dressed for action look like? What does it mean? It means that they're dressed in obedience. In today's passage, there are three places where Jesus says it will be good. They are in verses 37, 38, and 43. These are the good examples that Jesus outlines for his disciples to follow. Now, we just looked at the servant's example in verses 37 and 38. So let's now look at verse 43. After Peter's question, Jesus says it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing what he has tasked him to do. What was he tasked to do? To give other servants their food allowance at the proper time. The servant that is found obeying what he was told to do while his master was away will be blessed by being entrusted not just his servants, but all of his possessions. His entire possession will be trusted to this servant who has been faithful with little, will now be entrusted with much. In other words, the servants who wait for their master in readiness by obedience will be the ones blessed. The servants who wait for their master in readiness by their obedience will be blessed. In contrast, there is the servant who does not wait for their master in readiness. Instead, this servant actually takes advantage of his master's absence by abusing the authority and freedom given to him. In thinking, my master has taken a long time in coming, he begins to abuse the other servants. Our text says, begins to beat the other servants, male and female, and uses his master's possession for his own selfish pleasures. With the food that he was entrusted to apportion out to other fellow servants, he gorges himself. He eats and drinks and gets drunk with the food that he was entrusted with to share. When the master returns, what awaits this servant is not a blessing, but a severe punishment. The master will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. You probably didn't expect to hear that at church this morning. Somebody cutting somebody up in pieces. I mean, the Bible actually says that. Although the punishment seems quite harsh and maybe even too severe, the point is not about the severity of the punishment but about the fact that there will certainly be consequences for the disobedient and wicked actions of this servant. Did this servant know his master's will? Yes, absolutely. He was put in charge to do just one thing. He had one job. Just imagine. I know it's spring break pretty soon, and many of you probably were planning to travel, but because of COVID-19, maybe you've canceled that. 
But let's just pretend that COVID-19 wasn't around and you were planning to travel and you're about to go away for about a month. And you ask your friend to do one thing while you're away. You ask your friend to feed your dog or cat if you're a cat person. Now, how would you feel towards this person, your friend, that you've asked to feed your dog or cat, if you'd found out upon your return that this person not only didn't feed your dog or cat, but also beat it. Not only that, when they were over at your house to f- supposedly feeding your pet, they ate all your food in your fridge and pantry and got drunk from all the expensive wine collection that you had in your house. How would you feel towards this friend? Would you consider this person a friend anymore? The fact that you put this friend in charge of an important task of feeding your pet means that you had actually trusted this person. But to find out upon your return that this person not only did the opposite, but did worse, than, that is worse than what you've asked him or her, it's beyond infuriating. Because this person has betrayed your trust. It's not about the task anymore, but it's really about the contempt that they have shown to the trust that you had given this person. Because they showed no regard for the task that they were entrusted with. In verse 47, Jesus says, The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be punished with many blows. In other words, they will be punished according to what their actions rightfully deserve. Here, not only not getting ready and not obeying is equated side by side by Jesus because the punishment for both are the same. Not waiting in readiness, not doing what the master wants are the same thing. Now, of the two kinds of servants, which would you rather be? The servant who waited in readiness by obeying or the servant who knew the master's will but did not get ready or did what the master had asked him to do. It's an easy choice, isn't it? Of course, we would choose the one that was waiting in readiness by obeying his master. Would we not? I mean, duh, blessing, consequence, punishment, right? Blessing, lots of beating. Like, which one would you choose? But you might ask, well, who could live in perfect obedience? What if Jesus returns just as we make one bad move? I mean, I could be good all my life and then then, then I can just kind of make one sin. And what if Jesus returns at that moment? Well, I mean, you're not alone in thinking that because I thought that too in reading this text. No one could live in perfect obedience. No one ever has except Jesus. But in this text, we have to understand that Jesus is not demanding perfect obedience. He's not. He's talking about the attitude of the heart. He's talking about the attitudes of these two servants shown through their actions. This is what I mean. The attitude of the servant that wait for their master in obedience is that of of devotion to the master. The heart of a servant who loves his or her master is filled with longing for their return while he's away. The servant, out of his, his or her devotion to their master, will do all that is asked to be done while waiting 
for the return of their master. Like a loving parent staying up late till their child comes home from being out. Or like an excited consumer waiting for his Amazon package to arrive at the door. So this servant waits for his master with longing and excitement. That is why the servant is dressed ready to serve for action because he, wants, she, he or she wants to greet the master as soon as he returns. On the flip side, the attitude of the servant who does not wait for their master in obedience is that of disregard. Not of devotion, but disregard. Thinking to himself that his master's return is delayed, this servant sees his master's absence as an opportunity to abuse the authority and freedom given to him. He abuses his authority by abusing the other servants. He abuses what's been entrusted to him by filling his own stomach with the very food that he was put in charge to feed others with. He abuses his freedom by throwing off restraint to satisfy his greed and in pursuit of his own pleasures. He has no regard for the tasks that he's been put in charge with and therefore shows no regard for the master who's given him such a task. The attitude of the obedient servant is that of devotion. The attitude of the disobedient servant is that of disregard. The attitude of the obedient servant is faithfulness. The attitude of the disobedient servant is faithlessness. That is why he's assigned a place with the unbelievers. The attitude of the obedient servant is commitment, but the attitude of the disobedient is defiance. These are the contrasting attitudes demonstrated through the actions of these two kinds of servants. But it's so hard to live in obedience, you might say. I know I'm supposed to be denying myself as a disciple, but I don't want to constantly feel like I have to limit myself from living my life freely. And if I'm being honest, as a pastor, sometimes I'm tempted to feel this way too. It would be so much more comfortable and liberating to be living as my heart wants rather than to live as God wants. But I wondered, which way of living would actually be more free? Which way of living would actually be better, living in obedience or in disobedience? In thinking about this, I realized that it is actually totally better, actually far exceedingly better, to be living in obedience while waiting for Jesus' return. Of course you'd say that. You're the pastor. You're supposed to say that. Well, maybe. But no, seriously, but think about it. Hear me out, okay? When you really think about it, it actually is much, much better to be living our lives in obedience as we wait for Jesus' return than to be living with or in disobedience. Let me explain. When I was in elementary school in Korea growing up, our family moved to Canada when I was 13, so I went to elementary school in, in, in Korea. My parents would sometimes leave me and my brother at home uh, in the evening to go to their small group Bible study. And before they left, they would tell me and my brother to work on our Kumon worksheets. Anybody familiar with Kumon? 
Anybody traumatized by being forced to do Kumon here? Um, parents, take note. I'm just kidding. No, Kumon's not evil, all right? It's, uh, it's good. Um, anyways, before they left for church, they would tell me and my brother to work on Kumon worksheets while they're gone. So my brother and I would have our Kumon worksheets out on the table in our living room, and we begin working on them as they left the house. You know, they're getting ready, and they're getting prepared to leave the house, and we're just working away in our Kumon. What do you think, they, what do you think happened after they left? <laughs> You're laughing because you know what happened, right? Me and my brother, being good 11- and 9-year-old boys, we kept working on our Kumon. You're laughing because you don't believe me. You're right. You're right. I'm lying. I'm lying. No, we immediately turned on the TV, of course. Who's going to work on Kumon when their parents are not watching, right? We knew what time roughly our parents would get home, roughly, but we didn't know the exact time. I mean, sure, sometimes they come home late because they'd be, you know, they'd stay and, and talk to their friends. Then sometimes they come home early. We knew, but we knew roughly what time the Bible study would end, so we can kind of like expect them. And of course, this is where the analogy fails in connecting our passage with this story because, you know, in our story, in my story, we knew where, when my parents were coming home. In this passage, we don't know when Jesus is coming to earth. But I promise you'll still get the point, so bear with me. So we would watch TV to our heart's content with the volume really low so that we could hear footsteps coming up the stairs and turn the TV off before they walked in through the front door. We lived in an apartment. We lived on the fifth floor. So, you know, we can hear their footsteps. So even though we're watching TV to our heart's content, we're not relaxed. We're actually fearful. We're dreading my par- our parents' return. Why? Because we knew that when they returned and saw that our Kumon worksheets weren't done and had found out that we had been watching TV for the last few hours, somebody was going to get a hurt real bad. <laughs> and that somebody wasn't going to be my dad. What would be worse would be for them to actually suddenly come home earlier than we've actually expected and catch us red-handed watching TV. But there would be these rare, rare times when me and my brother would actually finish our kumon before they got home. We'd turn on the TV with the volume turned way up because we didn't have to listen for footsteps. We didn't have to watch the TV in fear because we had done what we were told to do. We had nothing to hide. In fact, my brother and I would actually want our parents to get home sooner because, because we want them to see what good we have done. What good little boys we have been. How obedient we have been during the time that they were away. So we would wait joyfully, with excitement, and with peace in our hearts. Not with fear or dread, but with peace. When one waits in obedience, he or she lives with a clear conscience. A lighter heart filled with joy and peace. There's no need for panic or fear of judgment at the thought of Jesus returning at an unexpected hour or day. Because when he does, he'll find us doing what we were put in charge to do while he was away. 
It's at that moment we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But the one who lives in disobedience in the present lives with a guilty conscience, having a heavy heart filled with fear and dread, just like we had fear and dread at the thought of our parents returning home and finding us watching TV. They're afraid of Jesus' return because having known what Jesus' will was for them, they also know that they will be severely punished for their disobedience. So they dread his unexpected return. Jesus presents us in this text with two options. Either we live with readiness by obeying his will, or we do not live with readiness, not in obedience, and thereby condemn ourselves into the punishment that awaits us. And by then it will be too late. Jesus says that no one knows what, what hour the thief is coming. So if the owner doesn't want the house to be broken or broken into, he or she would take precautions to prevent his or her house, her house from being broken into. Jesus tells his hearers that the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, will come at an hour when they do not expect him. But that was 2,000 years ago Jesus said that. He still hasn't come yet. And who knows if he'll even return in, our, in, in my lifetime. He's not here still. How do we know that he's going to come at any moment now? You're right. We don't know. We don't know what hour Jesus will return. Because after all, he did say that he will come at an unexpected hour. But the fact that Jesus has not yet returned shouldn't be the reason for disbelief. But it should actually be the reason for gratitude and repentance. The fact that Jesus hasn't yet returned shouldn't be the reason for our disbelief at his coming, but the reason for repentance and gratitude because 2 Peter chapter 3 says, and Peter is talking to those who scoff at Jesus' delay in coming. Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The seeming delay in Jesus' return is actually a sign of God's patience and grace and goodness so that every one of us would wake up to the reality of his son's coming and turn away from our sinful ways. So let us all awake from our neglect and slumber and begin to live our lives in obedience to God. This is what it means to wait in readiness. Knowing what's coming in the future shapes the way we live in the present. Because if we know that we're, we're going to have an all-you-can-eat hot pot after church right now, we wouldn't be filling our stomach with junk food, would we? If an athlete knew that there was an important game tomorrow, he or she would make sure to rest and prepare accordingly today. What's coming in the future determines the choices we make in the present. In the same way, now that we know Jesus will return, in the time to come, 
at an hour or day when we do not expect him? How would our present change? How would our relationship change in the present, knowing that Jesus will soon return, especially in our relationship with whom we might still hold a grudge or bitterness against? How would the way we look at money change in the present moment, knowing that Jesus will soon return, especially in the way we earn it or spend it? What change would bring to the present in our lives and the things we pursue in life, knowing that Jesus will soon return? As we think about Jesus' return, what emotions fill your heart? As you hear this message, what fills your heart? Is it fear and dread? Or is it joy and peace? In light of Jesus' return, the Apostle Peter says to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Friends, have you made peace with God? Are you at peace with God? If not, let's take this moment now to come before Him and repent and to be at peace with God. So I invite you now to close your eyes. And we're going to take a moment of silence. And in this moment of silence, I invite you to make every effort to be at peace with God. Jesus, as we await your coming, it's so easy to forget that you indeed are coming. Because we get caught up in the things that are right in front of us, in the busyness of life, in the things we pursue and desire. Our hearts so easily wander from paying attention to the reality that is imminent upon us. Now, having heard this truth, having become awakened to this reality, Father God, we pray that you would help us to wait in readiness, to dress ourselves in obedience so that our hearts may be filled with joy and peace as we think and remember Jesus' return. Father God, we do want to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with you when he returns. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would enable us, empower us, and cleanse us 
so that we may be found in such a way before you. All this we pray in Jesus' name.